Um, well, I said to you that I've never failed because I've never given a client what they asked for. We had a client uh, contact me once, probably one of my famous ones, um, is uh, he contacted me. This was on a Sunday. In two days' time on the Wednesday, he wanted to take his fiance, mother-in-law, uh, well, the parent-in-law, and her best friend out for dinner in Florence, Italy. And I was actually in Italy at the time. I was working with the Vatican uh, doing an event over there. And um, the, I thought, well, okay, if I book up a table in Florence, how's that going to be exciting? So I wanted to see again, how far could I take it? You know, how, how far could I push it? Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What's up, what's up, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community, proving to you that you can, in fact, live an amazing life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness on your way to having more. Today is a bonus episode because I wanted to bring this conversation to you as soon as possible. Ever since I first heard this guy's story and I first heard him on a podcast and I heard him on another podcast... Then I had the opportunity to connect with him and have an amazing conversation, and I recorded that conversation for you to listen to here today. And I want to share this conversation because I absolutely know that many of you are in a place right now where you need to hear what we have to say today and specifically what our feature guest has to say today, and others are going to want to hear this as well. So be abundant in your actions today, pay it forward, and share this episode with others in your circle. Just share it everywhere. As soon as you hear it, I'm telling you, you are going to feel compelled to share this because there's so much value in this conversation that you're getting for absolutely free. You are going to feel obligated to pay it forward and share with others. And if you just have a few minutes, I would love for you to add to the 83 already amazing five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes. You know, it's interesting when people have something bad to say, they'll just kind of poke at you a little bit and won't really reveal themselves or who they are. I appreciate when somebody gives me some critical feedback that I need to hear and they identify who they are so we can have a conversation and I can get more out of it. That being said, few people who are excited about their service and the value that they're receiving from somebody, from a service, from a restaurant, from a podcast host, me, very few people actually reach out and say something. I would appreciate it if you just took a few minutes, go to iTunes, share your comments and give the show a rating and review so that others can find men of abundance in the search engines. Besides that, I just want to hear from you and hear what you have to say about the show. Now, as I mentioned, today is a bonus episode. Other episodes will post on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which are also conversation type episodes. And then the Friday episode is Abundance and Prosperity Business Mastery, where I am sharing about 15 minutes, maybe 20, a business strategy that you can implement in your business that day. It's usually a business strategy, but sometimes it's also a life strategy. Either way, it's going to help you in your life and in your business. 
So make sure you hit that subscribe button to ensure that you get notified when each and every episode is posted to your favorite podcast player. So making the impossible possible and impactful is the gist of our conversation today. Men of abundance are, if anything, impactful. But what exactly does that mean? And what does being impactful look like in your life and business? Well, you're about to find out. Through Bluefish, the internationally famous company, Steve makes once-in-a-lifetime events happen for the rich and famous. Today, he shares with us one of his most impactful stories, along with a few that cost up to half a million dollars. Steve is the modern-day Wizard of Oz and makes the impossible possible. With his help and expertise, his clients' fantasies and wildest dreams come true. Getting married by the Pope in the Vatican, being serenaded by Elton John, and connecting with powerful business moguls like Elon Musk are just a few of the many projects he's worked on. He rarely reveals how he accomplishes the feats that make his clients so happy, but he talks about some of his secrets with us today. And today, Steve shares some of his practical tips, techniques, and strategies with us. Now, I know you're going to want to get more of Steve, so I'm going to tell you right up front, you can get a hold of his book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, where he will help you break down any obstacle and turn your dreams into reality. You can find that book at Steve D. Sims, that's one M, stevedsims.com. Men of Abundance, it is my honor to introduce you to Steve Sims. Steve, welcome to Men of Abundance, brother. How are you doing? Um, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the interest. Excellent. Excellent, man. Glad to, glad to hear that. Where are you at in the world? I'm actually in Los Angeles, California. Okay, so you're back home right now. I know you get around quite a bit. That's why I like to ask that question because a lot of the guys I talk to, they travel around quite a bit. I do travel a lot. It's just ridiculous. Over the years, I've kind of said to myself each year, usually around November, I say to myself, I'm not going to do as much traveling next year. And, it, you know, it doesn't stop. I'm, I'm the guy that is probably on a plane twice a month and always has an overnight bag uh, freshly packed, ready to go. So it's just, it's just crazy. It's just weird. Now, is that because of your speaking gigs or does that have anything to do with your clients and vendors that you're working with? It's both. Um, without realizing it, I developed another industry about a year and a half ago. Um, so up until... That time, it was a case of, um, hey, Steve, I need to discuss something with you. I'm in Portugal. Can you be here in three days? You know, and it was that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my clients were flying me around the planet to, um, you know, do the, the, the concierge and the wish fulfillment and the, you know, the, the crazy, the crazy stuff. And then the book came out, which I didn't really think was going to be a success. And it kind of was. Um, and now I'm doing international speaking gigs. You know, I've been this year alone. I've done Vegas. Uh, I don't know when your podcast is going out, but you know we're like halfway through the year now. I've done uh, four Vegases, Mexico, um, Marbella, Spain, and Phuket, Thailand, and a few in San Diego, a few in San Francisco. So, and that's just the speaking gigs. So, mm-hmm. speaking wow. has me running around. My consultancy has me running around. I run my own private um, speakeasy events, which are kind of like. Um, crazy quirky masterminds um and uh you know obviously the 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 main the main business itself which was bluefish uh so permanently on a plane somewhere 
Excellent, man. We're going to be talking much more about that here in just a minute. And by the way, before I forget, thanks for inviting me to the next Speakeasy event. I don't know that I'm going to be able to make that particular one, uh, only because I've already got some stuff obligated for that time frame. But I'm definitely looking forward to that. And guys, we'll fill you in on that here in just a minute. <laughs> before we get too much into our conversation here, Steve, I'd like to start out with an attitude of gratitude, man. What do you have to be grateful for today? Waking up. Um, I'm, I'm very much of a gratitude person. I wake up, I smell the roses, smell the air, be thankful that I can hug my kids. They're safe. They woke up well. So I'm, I'm thankful for every, every morning. Um, I love the mornings. I'm not a late night guy. I'm an early morning. Thank, thank the Lord that I'm, I'm able to enjoy it. Yeah, I am too. I'm right there with you, man. It's rare that I'll be up late on my own. If I got company or something like that, or Mm -hmm. I'm doing something, I can be up late. But generally, if I'm just sitting at home throughout the regular day, nine, 10 o'clock, I'm in bed at the latest and up early. Yeah, I like that. I love sunsets or sunrises because it's the beginning of a new day and it's just beautiful. Yep. Absolutely love it. So you know, we talk a little bit about you. I shared some stuff with you professionally, what you've been up to. But here on Men of Abundance, we really like to get to know the man behind the abundance. So if you would, how would you describe yourself? Pretty much of an idiot. Um, my I get that so far. Yeah, my wife my <laughs> wife calls me a 53-year-old, 4-year-old. Um, I'm the 4-year-old that goes, why can't we do that? Why can't we push that button? Why can't we get in there? And then just tries to find an angle. And I've never really grown up and... You know, the fact that I get paid to be like that now, there's no point in me growing up. So I'm a very inquisitive little four-year-old that just likes to open up doors I shouldn't and to walk into rooms that I'm not invited to. And so I'm a very inquisitive little four-year-old. I'm not skillful. Skill set is probably, in my top 10 things that I'm talented in, it's probably number 30. Um... But I'm very much of a, of a bull in a china shop. You know, if I want something, I'm going for it. So, uh, again, uh, I think it was uh, my buddy Jay Abraham said that I have a greater I can than I do an IQ. And uh, that works for me. No, it definitely works for you. And I love that attitude. I love that whole idea. And, you know, quite frankly, if more people were like that, they would get more of what they wanted. Not not all the time, every time, but they would certainly get more of what they wanted. That'd get, that'd get closer to it. You know, all the yeah. people that sit on their ass going, oh, I can't do that, that right. So right. even if you try and you fail, you've grown a few steps. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't like, I've never liked personally the either or question. Well, can we, you want to do this or do that? Well, why don't we uh, do both and something else in between? Yeah. Uh, it's just the way I've always really enjoyed living my life as well. But I like the idea of not growing up because I don't feel that I've grown up. I just turned 50 in May. And yeah. honestly, Steve, I, I just don't feel like I've grown up at all. No, there's no point. <laughs> I don't see any benefit to it. So uh, I'm going really to avoid it. Awesome. As long as we can. (laughs) So another question I like to ask here on Men of Abundance is that kick in the gut moment, because, you know, somebody's looking at you. I know your background, but I want you to kind of dig into this a little bit and share with us a kick in the gut moment that really took you to your knees. And then we're going to get into what you learned from that. Oh, God, so many. Um, I believe I'm a serial failure. Um, I failed, fallen over and got smacked so many times. But the kick in the gut... It's probably a strange one um, because I've been broke. I've been on my knees. I've, I've lost contracts, relationships, you know, lost houses and cars repossessed. I've had all of that. But the kick in the gut is one of those things that you didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And sometimes when you look back, you can go, well, hang on, there were telltale signs that I was doing that wrong. But one of the kick in the gut moments that also became one of my greatest growths uh, was when my mum, I was a lad, and on the Saturday afternoons, we were living in London, we would get the train into uh, into London, into like the Bond Street, which is, uh, Bond Street is like the uh, the Fifth Avenue Rodeo Drive, it's where all the posh shops are, and me and my mum would just hold hands and walk around, and I don't know how old I was, maybe 11 years old, something like that, and I'm walking around with her around the streets, and she stands on the side of the road, and she looks, and I remember this vividly, she looks across the street, and she's stationary, and she's looking in the window of Gucci from across the street at a handbag. And she's kind of leaning forward to kind of look at it and all this kind of thing. So I do what an 11-year-old thinks that we're going to do, stood on the edge of the road when there's no cars. I go to cross. And she grabs me back. And I said, oh, I, I thought we were going into that shop. And she turned around and she said, um, we don't go in there. That's for other people. And then she turned around and walked off. And I, I remember looking behind, expecting to see the doors, you know, with flames coming out of them or, you know, knives on the floor or broken glass. I expected to see something that made her so terrified to walk in there. But she was clearly lined up that that wasn't her world. She wanted to look at it enough that she would stand on the other side of the street and stare. And as I grew up, I remember thinking... I have no idea. I actually remember going back in there and I've actually, I've shopped in there. The store is still there. Uh, my wife's bought bags from there. I, my mum's no longer with us, but I try to take my mum there. Uh, I've taken my mother-in-law there. But I remember every time I see that shop, I remember realizing how terrified it made certain people. And one of those was my mum. That was a kick in the gut that made me, that stuck with me for many, many, many years. Yeah, well, and obviously that's part of what that I believe that may be part of what makes you as bold as you are today. And yeah, you know, you're not you're not it, it, it's like um, you're not not welcome anywhere. Just walk in. Like I've heard you say before, you just walk into rooms um, just for no apparent reason, just to see what's going on. Oh, yeah. You know, I've ended up I've ended up in uh, um, I've, I was in New York once. And we were in this club and I saw a bunch of people walking in. Now, obviously, when you tell someone this, you know, before you've even finished the story, they're like, well, why did you even think that was smart? But I remember seeing a bunch of people walking into a room at the back of this club and I was already in the VIP section. And I'm like you, I don't like to stay out late at night, but it was an event and I was at this event and it flowed over and a bunch of us had gone there. And I saw this door being opened up um, by these two meatheads. And people walking in and out. And I thought to myself, oh, what's, in, what's in there? Obviously, something's in there. I want to know what's in there. Mm-hmm. And I walked into a room, and it was like a scene out of The Sopranos or The Godfather. And I'd walked into this room, and they had a tiny little bar in there. And I just thought to myself, I can either look like an idiot and go, oh, uh, uh, I shouldn't be in here. Or I just walked up to the bar and ordered a drink. And some guy came and sat next to me, and he went, um... You shouldn't be in here. I said, I, I saw it. The inquisitive nature got to me. He said, well, you know what happened to the cat? And I'll be honest with you. There were some moments I was thinking, this is it. <laughs> I'm not going to see my hotel room tonight. But I ended up having a whiskey with the guy. And he went, you may want to finish that and leave. And I went, all right, thank you very much. So 
there's been some rooms that I walked into that maybe I shouldn't have, but um, they've been very interesting. You know, I've 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 walked into the you know secret rooms of the Vatican, you know, of uh, the Academia uh, in Israel. You know, I've I've been in some in, in just in some incredible places because I can. And yes, there is the risk that one day you're going to walk into a room that you shouldn't. But isn't that half the fun of trying to find that room? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, that, saying what you're saying, I, th- I was thinking about one of the scariest places that I've been. I've been to some scary places. But I was in um, Israel, in a lot Israel. And I'm on the beach, and I, we met these two. I was married at the time, so it's not like it was anything I was trying to advance towards. But I just met these two women on the beach that were obviously military because they're on the beach, they're carrying weapons, but they're in shorts and a T-shirt. And it's fatigues, right, style. So we start talking to them. They invite us to an underground bar. And this bar was literally underground. So here we are, some 82nd Airborne paratroopers in this bar, two or three of us. And we're in this bar with the IDF, Israeli Defense Force, everywhere. And we're like, you know, and they're, you know, they're friends. They're not, you know, no issues. But it's one of the it's one of those situations where you're sitting there going, my goodness gracious, this is going to be a story to tell someday. And here I am telling that story. But that seems uh, it, it's it's kind of eerie to put yourself in those situations sometimes. But it's exhilarating. I had the same thing. And funny enough, it was in the same place. I was in Tel Aviv about a year ago. And um, I met this this couple that seemed just like a nice, normal couple. And um, they were walking down the, uh, the, the front beachfront on, on Tel Aviv. And um, they said about this, this bar that they go to. And I turned up at this bar. Uh, I was on my own. I was over there doing some TV stuff. And I met up with them. We had a drink. They introduced me to their friend who was a little bit more flamboyant. They left. I ended up staying with this guy. We ended up sitting down at a table. And as he leant forward, I noticed that he was holstering a pistol. And so he saw me clock it. And I turned around. And I went, I went on, I don't see a lot of people can I carry in. Uh, in California, you know, some of them have concealed, mm-hmm. but I don't see it as open as that. Yeah, so I kind of called the elephant in the room out to just let him know what I had noticed. And he turned around, he went with this, and he went, yeah, I ha-. and he's, he pulled it out, and he's holding it in his hand. Mm-hmm. And he went, nah, this is the other, and he pulled one out of his ankle. And then there was about five other guys around. They're like, oh, that's bullshit. You want this one? And they, there was about 12 <laughs> guns that they suddenly put on the table in front of us. It was like, no, this is a good one. And it looked like a, a scene out of like, um, uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of some kind of comedic uh, a spy movie where all these yeah. guys suddenly start throwing guns on the table. Like spies are us or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was something just ridiculous. <laughs> um, and I just saw them all uh, being thrown down there. And I just thought, Oh my god! There must have been about twelve pistols just sitting on there from from offices. I didn't know that they were pulling guns out of. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, different places around the world have different ideas. I was literally in a McDonald's in Israel, standing behind a guy with an AK forty seven strapped across his back. Yeah, you Waiting see to order his it Big Mac, there. his quarter pounder. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, an interesting place. It Tel Aviv, really Tel Aviv's is. a beautiful. But if anyone's over there going, where should we go on holiday? Shit, we won't go to Tel Aviv. You mm-hmm. should go to Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv and Jerusalem and the whole area is yeah. just is just beautiful. It's exploding. I don't want you getting scared by a couple of silly little stories from, from mm-hmm. us, a couple of old boys. But um, Tel Aviv is such a vibrant uh, place. Like anywhere you travel to, always be careful because um, you can mm-hmm. find a bad room in Koreatown down down here in L.A. or whatever. You know, Absolutely. not picking on Koreatown, but, you know, there's, there's dodgy rooms in every kind of planet. But Tel Aviv Everywhere. shouldn't be walked away from. 
just because of our stories. Agreed. Absolutely. I've been to Old Town Jerusalem and the City of David and all that stuff. It's just a beautiful place to visit. It's it a is. must, I believe. And so, brother, how did you get into what you're doing now? And tell us one of your uh, just some of the craziest stories that you've um, been able to get people into. So I'm an East London bricklayer. Um, I was, uh, you know, left school at 15 straight on the construction firm. And uh, I just realized it didn't fit like all entrepreneurs. We're unsettled. We're diseased. We, we realize when things don't work. Um, and I realized it didn't work and I had to find something else. So I started bouncing between jobs, trying to find out what would work, what would have me. Now, I left school at 15, so I was heavily uneducated. Um, I class myself as an educated man now, but I believe school had zero to do with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I couldn't really get any kind of really good jobs. So I was bouncing between being a doorman, selling insurance, uh, call centers, cake delivery man, um, cleaning crew uh, for shopping malls. You know, I was just bouncing. And I would go to work in the morning and go, don't like this. At 10 o'clock in the, in the morning, I would quit. So my mom was thinking I couldn't hold a job down. And internally, I was trying to find where I could fit, where I could put my energy, where I could stick my passion. And because I couldn't find it, I was bouncing between jobs. My mum, therefore, thought that I had ADD and all the usual things that now we recognize as an entrepreneur. Um, But me and you both come from a period when an entrepreneur was slightly, it was was an insult. Mm -hmm. You know, if you turned around to someone in the 80s and go, what do you do? Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. They thought you sold stolen cars out of, uh, you know, some back alley in London. Um, mm-hmm. and on, you know, it, it's like if you spoke to someone in the eighties in East London, you called him a hustler more than likely you're going to get your face smacked in. Right. Okay. Cause if I called you a hustler, there's connotations of con man, rude angling. Now hustler, we tell our kids hustle, learn to hustle, learn to, to get up there, learn to get some mutzvah, you know, go get, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's changed. Um, I had a friend of mine in uh, a banking job and he was being transferred over to hong kong with a massive great bunch of people because they were doing this um uh, stockbroking world was moving into asia it's called the tiger market in the late 80s early 90s i bs'd my way into being transferred over there with a resume that was greater fiction than any harry potter novel um i lasted one day in hong kong as a trainee stockbroker before they realized i was a moron um and then uh, i ended up working on the door of a nightclub and i wanted to the door of the nightclub actually gave me something which i hadn't recognized before it gave me a viewpoint it gave me a patio to be able to stare at people and it's funny if you walk to a nightclub you will get those people that walk towards the door and they will self-select do i walk to the doorman and walk into the club or do i select that i go and stand in line they will self-select where they are supposed to be. Mm. Now, me, I was always the guy that'd walk up to the front door and uh, I'd go, hey, how are you? And, you know, maybe you got slipping 50 bucks or something like that. Nine times out of ten, it was the confidence. And mm. I had some meatheads that would turn around to me and they'd go, uh, there's a line over there. And I'd be like, yeah, so it is. Thank you. Anyway, how's your night going? Uh, I'll take a table for two, please. And they'd be like, come on in, sir. You know? And it was just that kind of bravado that, that I had that from the doorman, and now I was the meathead, I saw people self-selecting where they stood in life. Mm-hmm. And I saw affluent people that were very humble. You'd get people that would pull up 
in a Ferrari just so everyone saw them in the Ferrari, you know? Um, and you'd get other people that would just, you know, just walk up and just be really cool, but you could see they had the money. And so I used the doorman as a position to be able to build up friendships with these repeat customers that were affluent. And from there, I started building up value with them in a relationship by recommending the best clubs, the, the best restaurants, uh, different places. They would say to me, hey, can you get into this party? I'd make it happen. So I built up all of this value by trying to get people into things that they weren't originally invited into. And it went from getting people into nightclubs to getting people married in the Vatican by the Pope over like a 20-year history. Um, as I say, it started off as a you know nightclubs in Hong Kong. But in my 20-plus years, I've been the official partner of everything from the Grammys to Kentucky, uh, Kentucky Derby, New York Fashion Week, London Fashion Week, uh, Ferrari Cavallino Classic, um, Monaco Formula One. Um, probably my longest standing relationship has been with Sir Elton John for his Oscar party. So I just get people into the most amazing things they could. And then I get people to come to me and they go, hey, I want to meet so-and-so or I want to do X, Y, Z. And I've always maintained I've never given a client what they asked for. I give them what they wanted, lusted, and desired for. Okay, and there's a big difference, big difference. And you wanted me to end this on a story, correct? You still want me to do that? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I want to ask you this question before you do that because I definitely want that. Okay. How old were you when you started this? Uh, started the business, the concierge business. Well, in, uh, in the nightclub and started making. Oh, the nightclub. Oh, it was my early. It was my early twenties. Um, my early 20s, I left England because I realized England never had anything for me. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to rip the Band-Aid off and go as far away as I could. So when I heard my guy was going to Hong Kong, I was like, how do I get there? I didn't even know where Hong Kong was. Mm -hmm. um, but I just wanted to get as far away because they say you are the combination of the five people you hang out with. Of course. Well, my four best buddies were basically broadcast British bikers. <laughs> Right, <laughs> so I needed to find some rich kids that mm -hmm. I could be friends with. So by default, I would become that rich kid, um, yeah. and so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get as far away from my pattern uh, as I possibly could. And when I heard the chance of Hong Kong, I leapt to that. As I said, us as mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, we don't settle, and that was my jump off the cliff and build a parachute on the way down kind of thing. Um, and I obviously failed because I got into Hong Kong and I lost my job after one day. So mm -hmm. then I started working on the door and started going, okay, I'm here now. And I had two choices. I had a return ticket because the company that brought me over there gave me a return ticket, open-ended return ticket. I had the chance of getting back on there and going back into my pattern. Reverse is never a good thing. Okay. So I thought, mm, can't do that yet. Not ready to throw the towel in. I saw that as a great rejection, a great acknowledgement of my failure by going backwards. So I tried to do different things in Hong Kong, and I found this, uh, this, this front line, and I used it as a kind of, okay, how do I grow my education? How do I grow my circle? I'm in an environment now where if I fail, it's understood. You know, you mm -hmm. finish school at 15, you're a bricklayer. You know, we didn't think you'd survive, Steve. I can get away with that. But if I'm successful, I've only got my myself to be thankful for that. Myself to turn around and look in the mirror and go, Sims, 
you made this, you know? Yeah. And so I, I went for I went for door number two. I thought to myself, I'm gonna see how good I am and uh what's actually what's actually in me. And um that was it. I ended up staying. Man, so much to learn from that experience, man. Thanks for sharing that. Let's hear the story. Um, well, I said to you that I've never failed because I've never given a client what they asked for. We had a client uh, contact me once, probably one of my famous ones. Um, is uh, He contacted me. This was on a Sunday. In two days' time on the Wednesday, he wanted to take his fiance, mother-in-law, uh, well, the parent-in-law, and her best friend out for dinner in Florence, Italy. And I was actually in Italy at the time. I was working with the Vatican uh, doing an event over there. And um, the, I thought, well, okay, if I book up a table in Florence, how's that going to be exciting? So mm-hmm. I wanted to see again, how far could I take it? You know, how, how far could I push it? Now, this was only a few years ago. So my Rolodex is pretty good. In the old days, I would have to take 12, 15, maybe 20 phone calls and 20 relationships to get to the person I wanted to talk to. Luckily, now I'm like one phone call away from, from someone that I need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I reached out, we spoke to, uh, some people that were very powerfully connected with the Academia de Galleria, which is the museum in Florence that houses Michelangelo's David. This is a museum. Okay. I have to, I have to stress that a museum with, uh, plaques on the front door saying no food or drink inside this museum. Mm. So on the Wednesday night, I had a table of six with candelabras, all these candles on it, um, at the feet of Michelangelo's David, a string quartet, and they actually ate pasta at the feet of David, the most iconic statue in the world, in a museum that was closed down just for them. And halfway through pasta, I had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade them. That was me seeing how far I could go with the ultimate Italian meal. Location and music, that's what I put together. And people, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable, man. I love that. Uh, one of the stories that I that first caught my attention because I was fortunate enough to see the original Journey uh, in concert <laughs> just prior to them breaking up yep. and uh, and just iconic in, in our world anyway. Uh, yeah. And then you got – tell us a story about how that whole came up, how that whole process came about in that story. Yeah, same thing. Um, we had a client that actually got referred to me through Richard Branson um, and – his whole thing was that he wanted to meet the rock band journey. So, you know, I spoke to him and I said, you know, why do you want to do that? And I, I quiz people. I really question them because I want to get down into the soul. I want to get into that switch that needs to be flicked that, that I can, can look at. So I said to him, why do you want to do this? And he was like, well, you know, the rock band's been very symbolic in my life. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. So I'm investigating down and down. And he turns around and he said, um, all the way through my life, the ups and downs, like everybody's life, Journey's music has been like a theme tune to that chapter. Mm-hmm. I'm now pretty, pretty comfortable. I want this to just be the finale. You know, I'm not dying, but I want this to be the end of this kind of movie. I would like to go to Journey, shake their hands and say, thank you for giving me the soundtrack to my life. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, okay, so you're telling me going backstage after they've just performed for two hours in front of 20,000 people, they're all hot and sweaty, shaking your hand, saying hello, getting a selfie, they'll forget your name by the time they've got into the changing room. That's going to be it. That's mm-hmm. going to be your crescendo. You're going to be satisfied with that? 
And of course, the guy was like, oh, I said, look, let me see what I can do. So what I did was I actually got him to sing live on stage four tunes. And he is quoted now as the shortest term lead singer of the rock band Journey. He did this in what was at the time called the Cricket Amphitheater in San Diego with the full band, the fireworks, the pyrotechnics, the, the, the smoke and laser machines. He was the lead singer of the rock band. And uh, it was pretty cool to sit there in the audience watching my client up there performing four tunes. That is, man, I got chills just thinking about it. Uh, the emotions involved in that are just absolutely amazing. And that's what you do. You, more than concierge, you bring smiles to people. You get, just heighten their emotions. Now, a lot of people that listen to this show, a lot of them are entrepreneurs and business owners. And a lot of them want these kind of experiences, either they want to create them for themselves or they want to create them for family members or even their clients for that matter. How important is it to create something that big and doesn't have to be that big in order to make a huge impact? Oh, far from it. Um, look, we just tell those stories because let's be honest, they're freaking amazing. Uh, they're mm -hmm. like make a wish for people with really big checkbooks. Um, but what you're looking to do whether it be in business, a relationship within your family, is you're looking to establish a trigger. That's, that should be your focus, the trigger. Now imagine you're driving down the road and uh, music comes on from when you were a kid. Maybe when you had your first breakup from your first girlfriend or boyfriend and a tune comes on, you're transported straight back to when you were kind of like wearing silly haircuts and, you know, cargo pants or what. You're transported straight away, aren't you? Because it's mm -hmm. created a trigger in your subconscious and there'll be a little smile. Maybe there'll be the remembrance of maybe your first kiss because it's a slow tune or whatever. Those are triggers. And what you've got to do is create a trigger. If you're, and here's a silly one, okay? Um, if I go to a baseball game, we went to a baseball game a while ago, you know, we landed in America, you know, and I was like, ah, I've got to go to a baseball game. Um, and I invited some friends over for a baseball game. Now, I could have sent them the tickets. Um, fine, open up an envelope. There's two tickets. I hope to see you at the baseball game. But what I did was I actually wrapped them around a baseball that I had got signed. Now, if you contact any kind of baseball stadium, they've got all of these baseballs that are just signed. You can go, hey, I just need to... They may be signed by the bench warmers, maybe even by the, the water boys. It doesn't matter. You can even sign the damn thing yourself, okay? Mm -hmm. But wrap the tickets around a baseball, put the baseball in a little square box, wrap it up with, like, congratulations paper, and then give them that, okay? Now, it's cost you maybe 50 bucks more than the price of the tickets, mm -hmm. but they remember the ball. Okay, they remember opening the package. They remember the feeling of ripping open a pack. You've created this trigger. They think of baseball and they get a couple of tickets or now where the companies actually email you the tickets and you have to print them off or you get a barcode. But they remember mm -hmm. Sims sent them tickets around a baseball. Okay, yeah. it's very, very cheap stuff. If you're going out with your, your partner and you want to create a date or you've cooked that night, Try and make up a, a you know, a, a, a smooth tape of, you know, they don't do tapes anymore, do they? But try and do a <laughs> playlist of, of some of your favorite tunes of when you met each other for the first time. You sat there in your home now and a bit of Alexander O'Neill's coming on or the Commodores or something like that. 
it's a trigger. So you've got to focus on the trigger. What can I do that I'm going to do in any case that I can create something for you to go, oh, I remember. Oh, that's not, oh, wow. You know, something like that. Mm. I will give you the perfect trigger story. Okay. You ready for this? Absolutely. All right. Client of mine, every year for their anniversary, would contact me and say, hey, we need to make the anniversary brilliant. Here you go, Steve. Knock yourself out. We've done things, and they were Chicago-based. We've flown them into Paris for dinner for one night and then flown them back. We've had them sipping champagne literally on a mound of diamonds. We've had them backstage at concerts. We've had them on walk-on rolls on Broadway shows. Everything has ranged from like $75,000 to I think it was just over half a million was the most expensive for one night. Now, it got to one of his uh, anniversaries, and I can't remember which one this was. I don't know if it was his 20th. It was either the 15th, 20th, or 25th. It was one of the fives, okay? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, you know, it's anniversary time. It's, it's quite a big one. Uh, I think it was 20th. Yeah, pretty sure it was 20th. He's like, so it's a big one. You know, we've got to do something, you know, elaborate. It's got to be fantastical. It's got to, it's got to blow our mind. It's got to be impactful. Now, it was that last word that he had never, ever used. Now, over the years, he had stopped suggesting things because my ideas and my dreams were better than what he could come up with. So that was the only thing. But he had never used the word impactful. And that, if he hadn't have used that word, we'd have tried to have done something that was over the top, you know, spend the night in the White House or, you know, slept the night in a pyramid, something like that, okay, that was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. But it was that word impactful that stopped me. So I said to him, okay, tell me about her. So, you know, we'd done loads of things before and I knew who she was. Okay. But I wanted to hear it from the man that was closest to her. So he started telling me about her and, you know, this and that. And I, I remember the first time we met and blah, blah, blah. And he starts going on and going on and going on and going on. And he told me the story of how when he started trying to date her at college, she wasn't up for it at all. She was not having it. So he one day borrowed his mum's picnic rug out the back of the car, got a hamper full of cheap-ass sandwiches and a bottle of uh, cheap uh, champagne from the local uh, gas station. And he had this boom box that had like his, his kind of like, you know, sexy love tape thing on there with all of his favorite tunes. And when she came out of her class, he popped the cork, hit the, uh, hit the uh, tape deck and went, care to join me? Now, this was in front of everyone on the campus. Real cheesy move, a Hail Mary, if, if there was one. And she went and sat next to him and listened to the tunes while everyone's walking past them in the campus yard. Apparently, they got told off for having alcohol on the yard, you know, and all this kind of thing. But it was so cheesy, they let him get away with it. Um, but that was the first time that she realized there was something different about this guy and that he was committed. So every year she's been, you know, sent off in jets, on yachts, you know, all these different things. So this year we picked her up, sent her off to have, I think it was her hair done or her nails or something like that in the car. Okay. So she knows his anniversary day. She knows something amazing is going to happen. Okay. Around the corner at one of the public parks, we had been through all the pictures with his help of his youth to find out what the picnic rug looked like, okay? What the cassette deck looked like, what the hamper 
looked like. And from probably about 400 pictures, we found some of them had a hamper, some of them had this, some of them had a cassette deck, but he was like, oh, no, no, that's a double cassette deck. My other one was a single cassette deck. So we went down to try and hone in on what that was. So we actually replicated the rug. It was a tartan, um, like a Scottish tartan rug. Um, We found the uh, cassette deck, which uh, Run DMC would have been proud of. And we got the hamper. The sandwiches were a bit nicer than normal. You're not allowed alcohol in a public park. So this was alcohol-free champagne. And we set it all up in the park. She turns up in the car. He opens up. The driver jumps out, opens up the door. She's wondering, what the bloody hell am I doing in a park? He's a little bit in the distance, just under a tree. He hits the tape deck. Okay. And Alexander O'Neill comes on and he's got a glass of champagne in in his hand. And he said, hey, care to join me? She literally, and I have trouble speaking about this because I was there. I was actually, you know, because we had a lot of people around him just to make sure no one could come close to him. Because in the public park, you're not allowed to corner it off. Mm -hmm. But we, we had people, can I post, we had pretty girls walking dogs so people couldn't cross into this area. Um, she literally took one step out of that car and fell down on her knees crying. She was so blown away from him remembering every detail of the first time that it met. And also how it was so important to him that it be replicate, replicated on that day. She lost it. Now, I remember the driver. He's got one hand on the door. His passenger's now on her knees. I remember him just kind of like looking like dumbfounded. What the hell do I do here? So he helps her up a bit and tries to escort her over. The guy gets up to bring her over. To her. She cried all the way. I guarantee you she couldn't see where she was walking until she got in the picnic mug. I'm by the side of the tree and I'm tearing up. The emotion of the recreation of all of those triggers. Now, here's the thing. When I do something with the Vatican or with the Titanic or with Elon Musk, you know, I, I'm you know, half a million dollars, 750, one and a half million. This thing cost me $1,700 to recreate. Mm-hmm. Easily, by far the cheapest thing they've ever done. Still, even though we've done about five trips since for them, that's the one that always comes up mm-hmm. in the cocktail reception. That was the one that was the most impactful. And the reason it cost 1700 bucks was, was because we had to buy three bloody boom boxes because two of them didn't work. And when we finally did get one that worked, we had no way of recording any music onto the tape. Because for one, you can't buy tapes now unless you order them. Mm-hmm. And there's no bloody HDMI sockets going into a 1980s run DMC cassette deck. We yeah. had to send the cassette off to a studio to have the list of music we needed actually put onto this tape. So that thing could have easily have been a, you know, six, six, five hundred, six hundred dollar thing, including the boombox that we got off of eBay. So I would say that's a good demonstration of impact over price tag. Man, Steve, that's seriously impacted me, man. I was holding back tears just thinking about it. That's- yeah, I still cry every time I talk about it. Yeah, goodness, I, I get emotional at Hallmark commercials, so, you know, but uh, that's a, that's an impactful one. And guys, listen, it doesn't take that much. You've heard some of my stories that I've done for my wife. Guys, get creative. Think about stuff like this to make an impact in your relationships, in your business relationships, in your personal relationships with your kids. This is the stuff that people remember 
about you. It's not the stuff. It's the experiences. And when you get the emotions involved, Steve, thanks for sharing that, man. That is huge. That is beautiful. Good. Good. I'm glad you liked it. So, brother, we are at the point where we're going to pay it forward to our abundant leaders. You ready to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Excellent. So share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. Well, the first one's got to create an emotion. Um, don't do anything because it needs to be done. How can, ask yourself the one question, how can I add a smile to the action that I'm going to do? Even if you're buying someone a coffee, um, buy a coffee and then just maybe, maybe do a thank you or, you know, do something, you know, buy a cookie or buy someone a coffee. And when you're buying a coffee, maybe pay for the coffee behind you or something like that, just to express to the other person that, Hey, you know, we should all share, do something that creates an emotion. And you say about paying it forward. Do something that creates a smile and an emotion and a trigger with whatever action you're normally going to do. That's the first one. Mm-hmm. Two, ask yourself, do you keep your word? Now, it's very, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'll get that to you by Monday, and then they roll in on Tuesday. Um, don't let that slide. Don't let that slide. If you tell someone you're going to do something on Monday, make sure it's done at the latest Sunday night, okay? But focus on it. Hold yourself mm-hmm. to a higher standard than anyone else, Okay. Do not settle because that's a sliding curve that you don't want to be on. Number three, fail. Fail, fail often, fail frequent, and be proud to fail. We want to get to a situation where if you're not failing, you're not trying. Now, I'm not saying go to, go to Vegas and gamble your pink slip on, on black. I'm saying look at what you're doing today and try to do something you've not done before. Me, personally, whenever I go out to a restaurant, I try to have an appetizer this sounds the freakiest thing in the planet. And when you're in places like Japan and Israel and stuff like that, there's some freaky stuff that can end up on your plate. Mm-hmm. But try something you never normally would have tried because unless you've tried it and then discovered you've hated it, now you can talk about that from a position of experience, okay? But it's all these people that go, oh, I hate that. Have you tried it? No. Well, then stop talking. So mm-hmm. try something. Stretch yourself. The people that you are around will actually get caught up in your drag and come with you. So the more that you stretch, the more you try new things, the more you're open to expanding your your horizons, your ideas, your perspectives, your principles, your cause, these people will follow with you and you'll be raising your whole family up at the same time. I think that's my three. Yeah, absolutely love it, man. What rituals make the biggest impact in your life, Steve? I try not to do rituals because I get scared that if I miss them out, something's going to happen. Um, I don't, I'm not a superstitious guy, but I think the first part of superstition is by admitting you have a ritual. So I get up, I drink my coffee, I put the dogs out. And as I said to you earlier, I smile at the sky and I breathe the air in and I'm thankful. So my ritual is just to be grateful of every morning I wake up. Love it. Absolutely love it. What are you reading or listening to that you would recommend to our abundant leaders and why? Well, I would obviously say Bluefish in the Art of Making Things Happen uh, Mm -hmm. by the enormously handsome Steve Sims. Um, Sounds like a good guy. (laughs) Bit of a funny one. (laughs) Um, What do I read? I read a lot of different things. I find that business books actually pee me off because I sit there going, oh, my God, I wish I did. I I get very angry. And as Joe Polish said, it's aggravated oysters to make pearls. So I can be reading a, a Ryan Holiday. I can be reading a um, Joe Polish is actually doing a book now. I can be reading a, a, a Tim Ferriss, a Lewis House. I can be reading one of these things and then I get very annoyed. You know, Jay Abraham is always a great book mm-hmm. to read, any of his. Um, but then I start impacting them. 
So what I do try to read more now are ones that lose me. So I like, like the Dragon Tattoo movies. I like the Dan Brown um, books. I like to kind of get lost in a fantasy because I think what's actually we're losing now is our ability to dream. So I think mm. you should read books that make you fantasize and dream because it's our ability to dream and create that differs us from Amazon and AI and Siri because none of those things can dream. Okay, so I try to read things that allow me to dream. I do listen to podcasts and I have a wide range of podcasts from from the from the Grant Cardones to the to the Ty Lopez to the Lewis House to the Jim Quicks uh, to the Orby Marcus. I, I love listening to a whole range of different podcasts, even if I don't agree with them. Mm. I want to know how you got to that perspective. How did you get to that mall? How did you get to that soapbox that you think that's the only answer? I want to know that, and I want to uncover what that trigger is that makes them so strong in that belief. Exactly. That, that's my curiosity. That's one of the reasons why I listen to and read so many different things. Uh, I watch the political debates only because I'm curious as to how they get to the thought processes that they do, not to get into a political debate with anybody. Yeah. What, what do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? Um, well, two things themselves. And secondly, the, the fear of other people. Um, most people aren't scared of failing. Most people are scared of people seeing them fail. And if you look at all of the really successful people, they couldn't give a shit. Now, I actually was in SpaceX with Elon Musk about a year ago. And he actually turned around and he said to me, they'll applaud at you. They will laugh at you before they applaud. Now mm -hmm. you're, you've got a guy here that was making rockets. He never went to rocket school. I don't even know if there is a rocket school, but he, he, he wasn't that guy. Mm -hmm. But he just looked at something and went, hey, hang on. Why can't we do this? And if you remember, it wasn't long ago that NASA was laughing at the guy. NASA was actually his, his best friend. Some of his closest friends were laughing at him. Oh, I, he was damn near bankrupt so many times because he took mm -hmm. all the money out of PayPal, stuck some of it in Solar City. Some of it in Tesla, and then borrowed money to speak uh, put in a SpaceX. The guy gambled everything he owned on three horses that he owned, um, mm -hmm. and everyone was like, "You're an idiot! You're going to go down." Blah, blah, blah. Now look at the guy; he does not give a shit, um, and he just keeps going. I'm a great fan of serial failures, um, mm -hmm. so I believe that we should stop worrying about anybody else. You know, we're we're on this planet fleetingly. You know, for a short period of time, I do not care for your approval. I care for my standards. I care for what I do. I care for my substance. And if I've got to scrape a knee every now and then to get, get further where I need to be, hey, that's the education. That's the cost of education. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it, man. Thanks for sharing that. And I 100% agree with that. What does being a man of abundance mean to you, Steve? Recognizing it. Um, a lot of people talk about riches. I talk about wealth and wealth is knowing that my family are protected. My mortgage is paid. I've got gas in the tank, in the bike, and I've got whiskey in the, in the cupboard. I want to make sure that wealth is something that you recognize and you're grateful of. Uh, it can go. It, it can disappear. Things can happen, especially in a litigious society like America. People can sue you because they don't like the color of your earbuds. You know, it's, it's a ridiculous system that we're in, but things can forward it. But you've got to know that that wealth also includes what you stand for, your word, your credibility, and the man you are. Listen, we are going to have your book linked up in the show notes. What did we not talk about today that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation? 
Well, we've actually had a good little chat here. We're nearly under an hour here, so um, we've we've had a we've had a good little cover. And I don't want to saturate because when you saturate, certain things can like slip through the net. Um, I've got a website, stevedsims.com. There's only one M in Sims. So stevedsims.com. If you sign up there for the newsletters, you'll actually get a complimentary PDF of the cheat sheet from the book Blue Fishing. So you can check that out first before you get the book. Um, there's also a video on there called the Chug Test that you will get. You'll get this uh, autoresponder email that has that on there. Chug Test is how I try to live my life. Um, that could resonate with a bunch of you guys out there. Um, I'm on all the Instagrams, Twitters, Facebooks under Steve D. Sims. I've got a Facebook group called Steve D. Sims where, quite simply, if it annoys me, I'm going to tell you about it. If it excites me, I'm going to tell you about it. If it helps me, I'm going to tell you about it. Um, so I have a decent community just growing there. Um, and that's basically how you can get hold of me. What haven't we spoken about? Probably mountains. Um, <laughs> we could probably do a podcast for the next 13 years and still not get everything out. Uh, but I think we've covered a good broad, broad step. And I'm very proud that you've actually tuned it more towards the impact over the price tag. You know, I do some podcasts and they're all looking like, what's the most expensive thing you've done? You focused on the the impact, the trigger. And I'm very proud that we actually use that as a topic for this podcast. Absolutely, man. Thanks for sharing that. Thank, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. One thing I do want to ask you about specifically is your speakeasy events. Can you briefly share with the listeners what that is, sure. what the impact is on that? Sure. So I've spoken at um, you know hundreds of stages literally all over the world. And so, and I've also gone to many, many events over the world, you know, in, in, in the thousands. Um, and I noticed that a lot of events promote themselves by going, hey, we've got Gary Vaynerchuk, we've got Tony Robbins, we've got Darren Hardy, you know, we got all the, and you look at the lineup and you go, well, I like him, him, not sure about these people. And you buy tickets for these people. And then the other ones you hope are going to be good. They may resonate with you. They may not. It was too much of a turkey shoe. It was also seducing the wrong people for the wrong reason. So I actually decided to reverse engineer an event. So what I did is I started running these speakeasy events. We've done them in um, San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, New York, all over the place. Uh, One's coming up in about a week's time in Reno, and the next one's in Silicon Valley. There are a maximum of 40 people, and they're $2,000 per person to come along. And literally, all we do is we go, hey, speakeasy Silicon Valley, 14th and 15th of November, I'm in. And they click the button and they pay their two grand. They don't know who's going to be there. They don't know any of the topics up for discussion. They don't even know the location of the event. But here's what happens. When they join in, we then contact them and we go, hey, thanks for joining up. We're proud that you're coming over to the next speakeasy event. What's your problem? And we want to know what that problem is. What's holding them up? What's your next hurdle? What's your next achievement? What's your next goal? And then what we do is we take all of the people that have signed up, and again, maximum of 40 people, and we find out is there any correlation between them. And if you get 10 people together and ask them what their problems are, you'll usually find out that four of them are sharing the same problem. And so then what we do is I go into my Rolodex, and I bring someone in, to literally speak to you how to overcome that problem. So this is not a speaking event where we all stand on stage and go, hey, we're brilliant and you're not. It's a workshop where we get together, we expose the problem, and then I get absolute captains of industry, experts, celebrities in 
to answer these problems. And we've had, you know, the man behind We Are The World. We've had the leading video, the creative director for Victoria's Secrets, the founder of Ugg Boots. Um, we've had, uh, you know, Jay Abraham. We've had an immense amount of people coming in, answering these problems, but you don't know they're coming. But someone's going to come along and answer your problems. And I guarantee you, this is my guarantee. You're going to be in a room that you would never normally be in. You're going to be with 40 people that you would normally never have the chance to chat with. Chatting with market and experts from the industry that are solving your problem that you would never normally be able to stand and have coffee with. That's my commitment to you. So Mm. the speakeasy is a reverse engineered mastermind slash workshop slash life-changing experience brilliant absolutely brilliant man and i i'm glad i didn't forget to ask that question because i knew i knew what it was i wanted to make sure you shared that because uh, guys listen you all have your individual problems and i'm telling you that will be the best investment you've made in your career probably in the decade and in your life. Absolutely love it, Steve. Thanks for sharing that, brother. Thanks for the conversation. I dig it. I knew it would be an amazing conversation. Go out, live your life of abundance. And brother, keep paying it forward. You're making a huge, huge impact on people. You made an impact on me today for sure. I appreciate it. Cheers, bud. All right, guys, your action steps today are one, make sure you get a hold of Steve's book, Blue Fishing. And whether you get a hold of the book or not, be bold, be abundant, Take action on the things that you know you need to be doing and the things that you want to do. I mean, seriously, guys, you only have one life. Why would you spend it doing things you don't enjoy doing? I'm not saying that everything has to be happy Nirvana and Barney and all this kind of stuff all the time. But why run around miserable? And why leave this life unfulfilled, having not done the things that you want to do? It's not that difficult, guys. We just proved that in this conversation. Reach out to somebody who can assist you wherever you need assistance. I implore you, don't try to do it alone. Figure out who can help you and what it is that you're trying to do. Even if it's something like grabbing a book like Blue Fishing, grabbing my book, the No BS Business Breakthrough, getting into my next business breakthrough group session, which by the way, you can get more information at menofabundance.com group. But regardless of what it is, guys, I want you to leave this earthly life fully fulfilled. And I'll do whatever I can here to help you get there. Now, go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.